Jacob. We're going to be talking about Jacob over the next 10 weeks. So it'll lead us right up to Palm Sunday and then Easter. Um, and so we are excited about looking at, the, uh, looking at this uh, particular uh, person in the Bible, and it'll be, it'll be great. And so uh, this morning we start with the 25th chapter of Genesis, uh, verses 19 through 26. And so I invite you to hear these words. Genesis says, these are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. And Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning out of grace and humility. We pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to you. Lord, the life of Jacob is an intriguing life. He was not perfect, far from it. And yet, Lord, he seems to have much to teach us because so often he looks much like us. And so I pray that you would be with us, that you would open up our eyes to you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So we are this week beginning uh, our look at the life of Jacob. And I'm, I'm looking forward to this series. I don't think I've ever, in fact, I know I've never preached a whole series on Jacob. I've preached on him once or twice here or there, but, but I've never taken kind of 10 weeks to look at him. And I'm, I'm excited about that. For one thing, I always love going back and looking um, at stories that I learned from when I was a child. I always think it's fun to go back and kind of see these stories that were taught to us by our Sunday school teachers to look at them as an adult uh, for, for many reasons. For one, sometimes we don't really uh, understand. We're kind of young when we're five or six years old, so we don't really get all of the story. Sometimes Sunday school teachers leave out bits and pieces of stories, and for understandable reasons at times. Maybe they're not quite right for a kid. And then thirdly, I have found that over the years, as I look at these stories, uh, because of the fact that I've kind of had a lot of different experiences over the decades, that my eyes are actually 
actually opened in different ways to parts of these stories that I had never seen before, never reflected on before. So I hope that's the case for many of us who were raised up in the church. That said, what I also, of course, have discovered is that not everyone grew up just like I did. I sometimes forget that. I think that everyone grew up going to church three times a week and talking about these things with their parents. And I realize that not everybody grew up like that. And I don't say that in order to shame anybody. I say it to say that I'm excited to be able to be a part of this new experience for you. And so if you're not familiar with the story of Jacob, that's great because Jacob is going to have a lot to tell, not just you you, but all of us. And I think it's going to be a remarkably uh, important story in the life of our congregation. Now, as I was thinking about that and about the fact that not everybody was raised up in the church, I realized that while they mention Abraham here at the very beginning, at the 19th verse of our passage, not everyone knows who Abraham is, perhaps. And so I thought I'd give a quick, very quick cliff notes as to who Abraham was. Abraham, a.k.a. Abram, right? God elongated his name at some point. Abram was approached, or Abram was approached by God. And he told, and God said to Abraham, you are going to have many offspring. You are going to have, there's going to be a lot of, your, your generations are going to go on and on and on. In fact, he said, they are going to number like the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. You're going to become a great nation. Not only are you going to become a great nation, but that you are going to be a nation that is going to be blessed in order to be a blessing, right? In other words, you're not just there for yourself. You're not just there to get powerful. You are there in order to help others to experience who God is. Yes, God came in particular to Abraham and in particular to Israel, but it was never to stay there. They were always supposed to be a people who then went out and helped others to share in the shalom of who God was. Now, this, of course, was very exciting. If someone came and told you you were going to have a great nation coming after you, most of us would be kind of excited about that. Some of us would be nervous. Most of us would be nervous if it was somebody else, but we would feel good about it being us. There's only one problem. And the problem is that Abraham and Sarah could not get pregnant, which makes it hard to have a whole nation come out of you, right? If you can't even get pregnant, right? Not only was there no sand, not only were there no stars, there was not even a grain of sand or a twinkle of a star. There was nothing. And the time kept going. In fact, they began to get what some would call, I'm not here to judge, but what some would call old. <laughs> Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. And so when they were those ages, three men came and talked to Abraham. Sarah was kind of hiding off into a tent, but apparently she could still hear very well because she heard what was happening. And they came and they said, you are about to have a child. And Sarah laughed. Sarah laughed. And who wouldn't laugh, right? But of course, no one likes to be laughed at. And so the three men were like, hey, why did you laugh? And Sarah said, I didn't. And the three men said, this is one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture, oh, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> and they had the last laugh because Sarah did get pregnant. And they then named the child Isaac, which means laughter. So... 
Whenever the Israelites were hearing this story for the first time and they heard Isaac, they would have known, oh, this is Isaac, which means this is not just some kind of Joe Blow. This is an important person because we came out of that lineage. We know that something big is going to happen through this character, Isaac. And so from the very beginning, they are ready, right? And Isaac knows, okay, I'm sure his father passed it on to him what was going to happen. That's great news. There's only one problem. Isaac and Rebekah could not get pregnant. And so we're told that Isaac prayed. And when Isaac prayed, all of a sudden, there was the baby. No. As far as we can tell, Isaac prayed. But according to Genesis, no baby came for 20 years 20 years of waiting, 20 years of praying, 20 years of hoping, 20 years of being disappointed, 20 years of losing hope, 20 years of praying, 20 years of growing impatient, 20 years of feeling like you need to give up. For 20 years they prayed. As I thought about that, I was reminded of a sermon that I preached the very first Sunday of Advent where we talked about how a shoot would come out of the stump of Jesse, about a dead stump and the realities. And clearly it resonated with many about they know what it's like to sit there and to look at a stump no matter what the issue is and to pray and to pray and to pray and to never know whether or not your prayers were going to be answered on this side of Jesus' return. How easy it is to be disappointed. How easy it is to lose heart. How easy it is to give up or to stop praying. But finally... After 20 years, Rebecca and Isaac become pregnant. You can imagine, of course, their joy. If you have ever struggled with becoming pregnant, you can imagine just how excited they were that finally, after 20 years, that something remarkable was going to happen. They were going to have at least one child. And that joy, of course, for Rebecca, I mean, it lasts Not very long. Because while she is still, you would think after 20 years of waiting and hoping and praying, after 20 years, you would think that your joy would kind of just go perhaps forever. But the children are still in the womb. And she cries out, If it is to be this way, why do I live? Now, let me be clear. I have never had a child inside of me, nor twins. So I want to be a disclaimer. I understand it could be very difficult, as much as I can. That said, I find it massively intriguing how quickly we can go from focusing on a gift to focusing on the challenge and the struggle. How quickly we can go from being so excited about any gift, whether it's a child or something else we received, and how quickly then we can grow tired and weary of it. Now let me be clear. 
A part of the reason why what she says, if it is to be this way, why do I live? A part of the reason why it resonates is because, quite frankly, I have heard almost those exact words come out of my mouth. Now, not so much, of course, when the children were inside the womb. I was very happy then. But after they were out. And when you see, there are probably fewer frustrations than seeing two children, your two children fighting, you know, with one another. It grows so, and at points you say, why do I have to live like this? My children aren't here right now, and I appreciate keeping that in, but that's the way, right? That frustration, and it is that reminder, right? Now, I'm not saying that we should never grow impatient, or you should feel guilty if you ever feel exasperated. That is parenthood. But I am saying, in the midst of that, let us never forget the gift that children are to us. Now, the other thing about this particular line that we'll talk about in a few weeks, but I want to just bring it to mind just now, is how often we think the gifts that we receive from God should then be accompanied by comfort and ease and happiness. And yet so often, gifts given by God come with difficulty and toil and struggle and challenge. More on that later. Why should I live? So she goes to the Lord, and the Lord gives her a message. And the message, quite honestly, is not a message that probably would have brought much joy to her. It's a difficult message. Because she says, the Lord says to her, well, your two sons, and they're going to be two sons, they're going to become nations, and they are going to be divided. That is never a good thing. Right, I was just saying, interestingly enough, a few weeks ago to Megan, uh, to my wife, I said, you know, I'm, I'm really hopeful as we watch our girls really start to interact more now. You know, I think probably the hope for all of parents who ever have, you know, children, that, that the hope is that they will be friends when they get older, right? And so how the struggle then of, of, of hearing that they weren't going, wasn't going to be the case. But not only that, the message then goes on to say, most interestingly, that the younger is going to be served by the older. Now, that's a little bit hard for us to completely understand what a big deal that would be, right? I mean, that, that doesn't, you know, I find in my own life here in, in our own country that the younger oftentimes surpass the older. <laughs> I could be biased by the fact that I'm the baby of the family. I'm just saying, it's just, you know, anecdotal. But of course, in this time, that would have been completely unheard of. The elder got always two-thirds of the inheritance, and the rest of them just kind of pilfered for the crumbs, right? They always had the rights and the responsibilities. The older had all the power, all of that, right? And already here from the very beginning, we are beginning to see that a part of the story that we are going to look at in Jacob is how frequently God decides to work completely opposite of how we would ever imagine that God would work. God has no problem giving us surprises again and again and again. God is never captive to how we would do things or how we think things should be done. Throughout Scripture, You see the themes that God is not afraid to use the younger rather than the elder. To use an unwed mother in order to birth the Messiah. To use the cross and the weakness and the brutality of a cross to bring salvation and shalom. God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not 
our thoughts. Until finally, at long last, children are born. Esau comes first. They call him Esau because many think it means red or hairy. He comes out, he's red, he's hairy. We'll call you Esau. But not long after that, here comes Jacob. And Jacob is called Jacob because that means, most think, a grabber of heels. He comes out kind of grabbing the heel of his brother Esau. I was thinking, this is neither here nor there, but I sure am glad that we don't, you know, at least not commonly call our children by the environment in which they were born, right? That has some kind of less than uh, good results oftentimes, right? I, I was born, I probably have shared this before, I was born after my mother had been going to Mardi Gras parades all day and New Orleans, and she was just about to go to another one when her water broke, right? So they'd be like, you know what? We'll call you Killjoy. <laughs> Although, I'm sure as I've said before, there are ways in which that's true. I mean, again, there's no better way to kill a party than to have the pastor show up. Am I right? I mean, that's often, ah, okay, everybody, let's clean things up. Pastor Jerry's here, right? Or better yet, let's just not invite that guy this time. Right. I get it. But what it does do, this naming of these people, Jacob and Esau, what it does do is it gives us, in this very kind of short passage, it gives us a glimpse into what we will be seeing in the weeks to come. That Jacob, who grabs the heel, who wrestles with you, if you will, with Esau, he will be the one who wrestles with his brother, with his father, with his uncle, with himself. And even with God. And so as we kind of go through these next several weeks, we will begin to see what it means to wrestle, as so many of us oftentimes do. Now, there is one last thing I want us to keep in mind as we kind of begin this series. I want us to keep this in mind because it seems to me that it, that it may be helpful in our understanding how this story would have been heard by the Israelites, how it would have been understand to those kind of first readers, to the first time they did. I want us to put ourselves a little bit in that environment. So let me do so by way of a story. Back about two decades ago, uh, now almost two decades ago, I was in graduate school at Wheaton, and I was uh, there, and I was living with my cousin, uh, Rusty, and and. and and he's uh, about two or three years younger than me. He was an undergrad there. And, and so we were, we were there, and it was great. Rusty has become one of my best friends. He was the best man at my wedding. Just a great, great guy. And so we were sitting there on a sofa of our apartment, and we were chit-chatting about things. And, and he brought up his friend Gunja. Now, Gunja is this guy's last name, uh, and, and he lives back in Kansas City. And this was one of his best friends. And he was talking about Gunja, and he said, you know, the problem is, Jerry, he says, the problem is, is I, don't, I do not like Gunja's girlfriend. And I don't know whether I should say something to him about it or not. Well, if you've ever been in that, you know that's a tricky wicket right there. You don't know exactly what you should do. I mean, on the one hand, if you really love your friend, right, you should, you know, you want what's best for him or her, right? And you don't want that person to end up, what if this person, what if Gunja's, you know, girlfriend ended up becoming his wife? And what if it was a bad marriage? And if you really care for somebody, if it's almost anything else, you would always share it, right? And so... On the one hand, I think, well, yeah, you know, I was thinking maybe, maybe you should tell him. On the other hand, and it's a big hand, on the other hand, probably most of us know what it is like. 
Or you have seen relationships or friendships that are completely severed because one friend decided to be so honest with his friend that he didn't like that friend's boyfriend or girlfriend. Right? I mean, that can, be, that, can, that can cause some major problems. And if you really like your best friend or whomever it is, the last thing you want is to sever that relationship. So we battled this for probably 30 or 45 minutes. We kept going back and forth. And finally, I said, you know what? I said, Rusty, I think, I, I think you should tell Gunja. It's risky, but I think you should do it. The Rusty kind of nodded his head in agreement. and Like he knew that's what he should probably do. And then he looked over at me, and he was like, Jerry, I don't like your girlfriend. (laughs) Now, I was none too pleased (laughs) by the fact that he had tricked me like this. Or by the fact that he didn't like my girlfriend. I mean, I was pretty livid. I was thinking to myself, who do you think you are, buddy? And while we're at it, let me tell you something about your girlfriend that I don't really like. I mean, I was pretty angry. And in the midst of that anger, at some point as I was continuing to suffer from that gut punch, I remembered the incredibly sage advice that I had just given him which seemed much wiser a few minutes before when I thought it was about his other friend. And I realized that as much as I didn't want to admit it, that Rusty had probably done the right thing by telling me this. And in doing so like he had, where he was talking about somebody else, my defenses were lowered, my ears were wide open to listen, I was able to look at it and to see it very clearly. And truth be told, Rusty was right. I mean, if you're wondering, it was not Megan that he was talking about. And thankfully, eventually, you know, it was part of the catalyst to get me to kind of to to move on, to part our ways. But it never would have happened if he had just come straight at me. I bring that up this morning because there's something that you should know. Now, I don't want to be a spoiler alert here. Most of you know this, but I'm going to tell you anyways that eventually in our story, Jacob will be renamed, and his name will become Israel. But it doesn't happen for a while in the story. Meaning, as we will begin to see in the weeks ahead, as you begin to see the kind of guy that Jacob is and that it is not an ideal type for a follower of God, you will realize that probably the Israelites, as they're reading the story, are thinking, why is this person even in the Bible? What's wrong with this Jacob guy? Who does he think he is treating others and even God like that? Why is this Jacob such a deceiver? And why does Why doesn't Jacob deal with God like he should? And why doesn't somebody tell Jacob, give Jacob a piece of their mind, especially God? We cannot believe that this God would put up with this Jacob. And just about the time they are going to voice that out loud, God turns to Jacob and says, Jacob, you are Israel. Meaning, 
That God is not just talking to Jacob. God is talking to all of the Israelites. That the Israelites, they who were wanting to so quickly say, who do you think you are, you deceiver? Why are you treating God like this? All of a sudden, God is reminding them in the story of Jacob that Jacob is them. That Jacob is not just some person from long ago, but that rather if they looked at Jacob as carefully, if they looked at themselves as carefully as they are looking and judging Jacob, that they would realize that in Jacob they see themselves. And for those of us who believe that we follow the God of the Old Testament as well as the New, it means that in the life of Jacob, we would be wise to realize that we see more often than we might want to suggest or think, we see our own lives. But, and this is critical, that at the same time, before they realized that Jacob was going to become Israel, they were also these Israelites, probably looking at God, as many of us will do in the days ahead, and were thinking, I can't believe that God is still using that guy. I can't believe that God somehow is able to work his purposes and his mission in spite of this person who is less than savory. I can't believe that God hasn't given up on him. Because when all of a sudden they realize that him is me, then we are reminded that God also does not give up on us. And that beyond our expectations, God will use us in spite of and sometimes through our mistakes, through our shortfall, through even our sin. And we will be thankful for those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear that God is not going to give up on us. Not because we were born first. Not because we are the strongest. Not because we are the most powerful or are without sin or mistake. But simply because God, for some reason, has decided not to be God without us. So in the weeks to come, as we follow this very human man, Jacob. My hope and my prayer is not that we simply shake our heads at who he is, but that we shake our heads at how often we look just like him. But in those times, my prayer as well is that we shake our heads with the fact that this God this persistent and patient and forgiving and relentless God of Jacob is also the relentless and patient and persistent and forgiving God that we serve. Might we, in the weeks to come, grow in our understanding even more so of who we are, but may that always be overshadowed by the joy of knowing who God is. The God of Jacob, the God of Israel, is our God. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
God, this morning we come together knowing so often that you do not work in the same ways that we do. That you love to work through the secondborns, through the powerless, through the poor, through the struggling. We know, Lord, in those moments when we can be honest that so often we fall short. And yet even still, we trust in you. Because we know that when we see the way in which you keep coming after Jacob, it means that you will keep coming after us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.